Good afternoon. It is one o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Mostly cloudy skies and just one degree. Ontario's progressive conservative government is set to table its first budget later this afternoon. Premier Doug Ford has said the fiscal plan will lay out what he calls a thoughtful path to a balanced budget, though he hasn't said how long it will take to eliminate a $13.5 billion deficit. The Tories pegged the deficit from the previous Liberal government at $14.5 billion after winning a majority in last year's provincial election. However, the Financial Accountability Officer has said it was closer to $12 billion. The $1 billion reduction so far in the deficit is largely due to higher sales and corporate income tax revenues, Ontario's third quarter finances indicate. Opposition politicians have accused the Tories of inflating the deficit so they can justify cuts to programs and services. Treasury Board President Peter Bethlen-Falvey has said he would like to cut waste and the $12.5 billion a year the province spends on interest on its nearly $350 billion debt. Londoners will be asked to help those in need over the next week by supporting the London Food Bank. The 32nd Annual Spring Food Drive is set to run from tomorrow to Easter Monday. That's April 22nd. Donation collection bags will be available at grocery stores starting tomorrow. They'll also be inserted into the April 18th edition of the London Free Press. A kickoff event was held this morning. Meanwhile, researchers at Western University hope findings from a new study on food waste will help Canadians scale back the amount they toss each week. The study surveyed 1,300 London households and found they threw out food an average of 4.7 times the previous week. That worked out to about 5.8 portions of food. Per year, it worked out to about $600 worth of food tossed in the garbage. Researchers say most often people say they bought or prepared more food than they could eat before it spoiled. Julian Assange's lawyer says the WikiLeaks founder will fight his extradition to the United States. Assange was arrested at the Ecuadorian embassy today where he took asylum in 2012 while facing extradition to Sweden. His lawyer Jennifer Robbins says the extradition request is a bad sign for journalism. This sets a dangerous precedent for all media organizations and journalists in Europe and elsewhere around the world. This precedent means that any journalist can be extradited for prosecution in the United States for having published truthful information about the United States. Robinson suggested Assange had long said he would be arrested if Ecuador expelled him from its embassy. It was a defeat in Parliament this morning for former Liberal Cabinet Minister Jane Philpott and her supporters. Speaker Jeff Reagan ruled the Prime Minister did not violate Philpott's parliamentary privileges when he decided last week she would no longer be allowed to sit as a Liberal MP. He told the House he has no role in deciding how caucuses conduct themselves. The federal Liberals are using their omnibus budget bill delivered to the Commons this week to legislate a so-called right to housing, complete with requirements on future governments not to drop the concept. The bill sets into law rules about the Liberals' 10-year national housing strategy, valued at over $40 billion. It also creates two new oversight bodies aimed at making sure that spending reduces homelessness. Characterizing housing as a human right is meant to provide recourse to anyone wrongfully denied a home for ethnic, religious, or gender identity reasons. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Budget day, that makes it an interesting day in the neighborhood. We are going to talk about how to mail drugs through Canada Post. It's not going to be an instruction booklet. This is not a how-to. We're not writing one of those little books that have yellow covers that show up in coals. We're not doing that. But we are going to look at the issue that exists. You've got people who say, yeah, yeah, I get my drugs online. Oh, 
You buy them from the government? <laughs> no. Don't buy them from the government. Prices are too high. Have you seen the latest stats can thing? We've already seen increases in the prices of marijuana. No. Uh, when you're ordering drugs that aren't so legal, they use Canada Post because it's difficult to actually inspect packages. And unless you are taking a great big Sharpie and writing the words, Inside this package is a whole lot of cocaine. Keep your hands off, not your stuff. Then there's really no real reason for anybody to open it up. Canada Post can't do it. They're not in the business of policing. It can be difficult for police to know that a package exists that could be suspicious when in actuality it's not all that suspicious because it could just be a little letter. Here's a little envelope. Doesn't say anything on it. Doesn't smell. I don't know. Looks fine to me. Off it goes. So we, in a way, have very archaic laws when it comes to mail transfer. And we're going to talk about that in about an hour from now. And we'll get kind of all the perspectives rolled into one, if we can. We are also going to be talking about the latest numbers on wasting food. We know in London we do some things very, very well. Um, but we waste food. And that's one of them. We are really, really good at wasting food. And that's bad. And the new numbers are even worse than the old numbers. So we'll look at the old numbers, then we'll talk about the new numbers, and we'll try and figure out why we're headed in the wrong direction around here. Western University is helping us out with some of those numbers, and Dr. Paul Vanderwerf is going to be a guest on the show, and he is always really fascinating to talk to. If you haven't heard from him, we're going to do that. Tomorrow on the show, I want to draw your attention to this. Do you realize that a former London resident who now lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is going to be on... Wheel of Fortune. I know it sounds different when they say it on the TV, but that's what's going to be happening. She's going to be on on Tuesday. Colleen Keel. And we're going to be able to speak with Colleen about how exactly you get onto Wheel of Fortune. Before you go thinking, well, I'll just apply. Yeah, you have to be living in the United States or married to an American-born individual or perhaps be an American. So we can't do it. And have they ever tried Canadian Wheel of Fortune? I don't. If you didn't have Pat and Vanna, this is this is kind of one of those things about those game shows. You know, look at what happened to The Price Is Right when Bob Barker left. I know people drew themselves to Drew Carey, and Wayne Brady is is a fantastically funny guy. It's not the same. No, have your pet, your pet spayed or neutered. We we need to hear that. It's not the same. I don't. Price Is Right's gone downhill, right? I think so. I'd have to look at the ratings. But what will happen to Wheel of Fortune when Pat and Vanna aren't there? Well, Colleen got a chance to meet Vanna. We'll meet Colleen tomorrow on the show, but we'll play you a little bit of her audition today just to show you what it does take to get to Wheel of Fortune. How astronomical are the numbers? They are astronomical. 600 contestants out of a million entries per year. So, like, one in a million? No, 600 in a million, but it's still pretty, pretty long odds that you would actually get accepted. So Colleen is going to be on the show tomorrow, and we'll talk with her. London Knights and Guelph Storm will play a game tomorrow, and no, 
This is not because the London Knights wanted to come back and win the series at home. This is not because a Game 5 brings another home crowd. That's not what this is. Guelph Storm are a good team. And they beat the London Knights last night. couple deflections. Nick Suzuki, who's from London, used to tear it up as a junior knight. Used to tear it up as a member of the Owen Sound Attack. He had a goal and two assists for Guelph. So Guelph was full marks last night. Knights played a great third period. I don't think there's anything to look at and go, whoa, Guelph's won one game. What are, what are we sharing here? See, you guys win the first three games, and then we'll win the next three games, and then we'll just have a one-game playoff to see who – no, that's not what this is. So the Knights know, though, that you can't give the opposing team two wins. Then they really start to get rolling. And Guelph's the kind of team, as we talked about yesterday with Devin Peacock on London Live, that – if you allow them to feel good about themselves, they'll continue to feel good about themselves. They they kind of get this confidence. So you don't want that to happen. It doesn't happen with one win, especially when you're trailing in a series three games to none. The Knights know that tomorrow night becomes a really important game for them. We'll have tickets to give away to that game. We are going to lead off the show, though, talking about our cashless society or what is becoming our cashless society. This is something that I always get a little bit concerned about as a parent. Are you parenting or grandparenting in any way right now? You know one thing that we learned the value of as youngsters growing up way, way back in time? The value of a dollar. You know, you could take a dollar, and it was paper back then, or you could take a $2 bill, because those existed back then, and you could go to a corner store and you could get some dino eggs and some chews, and you knew exactly how much money you had. And if you had a dollar, you maybe got a chews were 10 cents. Remember the ones that were sour, but then after a while they stopped being sour? I don't know how that happened. I don't think that's necessarily the greatest thing that we were putting in our mouths. And it almost looked like people had found chews that had been chewed up on the ground, took old pieces of them, and then stuck them together. Remember that? And made new chews. Hey, is that one round enough yet? Yeah, it looks fine. And uh, maybe that's why they tasted sour to begin with. After a while, though, they tasted good. They were 10 cents. Uh, chips at times. What what were we paying for chips? Remember when chips went up to like 45 cents? There was a revolt. That's horrible. The hostess guys were, oh, it's 45 cents. This is awful. And then it was 55 and 65. I don't think you can buy a small bag bag of chips for less than a toonie now. My point is, we knew the value of a dollar. You knew that when you brought a physical dollar in and you handed it over, you could actually save yourself money by maybe only buying two packs of chews and a bag of chips. You'd get some change. You threw that into your allowance, which was a dollar. At the end of the week, you could buy even more stuff the next week. And that's kind of what it was. Now, what are kids being taught in terms of spending money? How much is that? That's $93.42. Okay. Boop. All right, off we go. That's not great, you know, because, yes, there can be, I guess, caveats to it. If you have a child and they have their own bank account, what do you have to be to get a bank account? 13? I think that's what you have to be. And they have their own bank account and they have their own phone. You can actually get 
bank updates sent to their phone. Make sure you do this. So at least they have the value of a dollar in front of them. And when money is spent, you get a notification. And at the end of the day, you get a notification as to how much is left in your bank account. And maybe that's something that's missing here. Because yesterday, Devin Peacock was talking with Rod Duclos, who is a professor at the Ivy School of Business at Western University. And they were looking at this as a topic and looking at the value of a dollar and how maybe it isn't appreciated the way it used to be because now it's too easy to go, what, how much is that? $2,475 for a pack of shoes? Ah, I remember when they used to be 10 cents. Boop, and you pay for it, and it's it's purchased. So how cashless are you becomes a big question, and how are we handling this cashless society? To begin the conversation, we're going to come back, and we are going to talk with James McInnes. James McInnes is a name that you need to know because uh, Ray Kroc, or is it Roy Kroc? It's Roy Kroc, isn't it? Roy Kroc? Ray Kroc? I can't remember all of a sudden. I'm a little sleep deprived today. Uh, one of the Crocs, you know him, founded McDonald's, George Cohan, McDonald's in Canada, Oxford and Wonderland. That was the first one. Yeah, James McInnes could be in that same conversation with Globally Local. Fast food, but vegan. And they are cashless, or at least that's what they suggest to their customers. In a moment, we'll talk with James about making a cashless business, why they've done it, what they're getting out of it, and what their customers are saying about it. If you're bringing cash in, they would rather you just went, boop. Why? That's next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. How cashless are you? We'll look at that from our own perspectives a little later on this hour. But things are as cashless as they have ever been, and we continue to take strides and steps to carry around less and less in the way of cash. Right now, at Globally Local, which is a vegan fast food restaurant in London, Ontario, they are cashless. There's a little sign on the door. And we wanted to investigate this in terms of, well, why and and how is this working and what was the thinking in behind this? So the best way to do that is to talk with the owner of Globally Local, James McInnes, and we're going to do that right now on London Live. James, how is today going? It's going fantastic. Excellent. You guys have certainly made some news in that you've decided to make a change to go cashless. Is that the right way even to say it? Uh, yeah, I think that's the right way to say it overall. Yeah, for sure. And take us to the the decision to do this, because we all run around and you can pay with your phone and you can pay with a plastic card, you can pay with a transfer, you can pay all kinds of ways. What was it about making this move that made sense for you at Globally Local? Well, actually, so there was like, there was a number of factors uh, of why we did it. Um, so, like, we've always been, like, a very forward-thinking company. I mean, that's why we're vegan. That's why we offer plant-based foods, because we're, we kind of, um, you know, we're always thinking that way and, and trying to to uh, sort of um, remain innovative. And part of the reason that we went cashless was, uh, was first of all, that uh, over 80% of our transactions were already cashless. People, you know, are paying more and more with card uh, anyway. And um, the other reason is that... Um, for us, it, it provided, like, tremendous, like, operational efficiencies for us to do that. Um, so that was another reason. And then the last reason we did it was it really uh, increased our, like, safety for our staff because, you know, you're not going to rob a place that has no cash. So um, there was that. Uh, it was a, was a very big factor as well. 
when you first started talking about it, was it something where it was just kind of a decision, okay, if, if we do this, here we go, and it's a nice, easy transition, or is this something that comes with a few hurdles to jump over? Um, uh, I think to be honest, like we were very nervous to do it. Uh, I think it's a very big change because I think with any business, like the last thing you want to do is turn away customers, right? You don't want to turn away customers. And we still do, like we still are able to take cash because I think another important consideration is that not everyone has a bank card. So people don't have banks and so people don't, are, are actually unable to pay with a bank card. And we don't want to be in a position where we like, we can't service those customers and, you know, we're in a position where we're, we're not being, uh, you know, open to the community. So, like, we still we still are able to take cash. It's just not something that that uh, that we typically do, and it's it's sort of like an exception to the rule. So, in doing it, do you kind of advertise to your customers that hey, we we are cashless, and then there's small print, or how do you how do you get it known so that people are not still walking in saying, yeah, here's my ten dollar bill, need my change? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we have a sign at the door saying, like, you know, like we're cashless, and and then we have like another sign inside, kind of explain a little bit more about what that means and that it kind of means like our, you know, our preferences that you pay with, uh, pay with uh, a debit card. And, uh, but if that's absolutely not possible, then, you know, you can just uh, ask speak with a manager or just ask one of the cashiers and they can help you to, to ring the order with, with, with cash. So, um, and, and another, another part of the reason that we went, we did this as well is that we've implemented like self checkout um, technology in our stores and um, that's and again, that's part of our transition of, of staying competitive in our industry. Like if you look at McDonald's or lots of other big fast food chains, they're all sort of putting self checkout systems in. And as a small retailer, and especially a, a much smaller fast food chain, it's it's hard to stay competitive against uh, you know people like that that have that kind of technology. So where we have the opportunity to introduce that self checkout, um, it sort of paired well with the cashless model. We are talking with James McInnes, owner of Globally Local, and we're talking about the fact that Globally Local advertises the fact that they are cashless. Now, as James has outlined, don't think that you can't take your money there and not be able to spend it. That can still happen. Uh, James, overall, is is there a big cost in getting this up and running? Um, there's not. There's not so much a big cost. I think. Uh, I think it's just. You, I think there is a. There's a sort of technology hurdle that you have to go through, obviously, because, um, you know, especially if you're using self-checkout technology, you, you do have to, like, know how to implement that and how that fits into your system. So, um, but, uh, but you know, you don't need a self-checkout to go, hey, go cashless. Like, any business could do it. Um, I think uh, I think overall, I think you have to make sure that you're you kind of like, try to explain it to your customers that why you're doing it, the reason behind it. And uh, I think most customers understand that most customers are, are already using uh their 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 tap all the time anyway. So we we've actually found the transition's been been great, and the customers have been really receptive to it, and sort of understand that that we're trying to remain competitive and keep our prices low and deliver a high value product to to the community. What kind of impact would this have on your prices? Um, well, it 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 basically allows us to not raise our prices. Like we haven't we haven't raised the prices of our, our burgers since we actually opened in, in over in over two years. And uh, part of the part of the ways we've been able to keep our prices the same and match other big fast food chains like AW is because we're small and nimble. We take advantage of all these like, little technology uh, advantages when they come up and. And we're able to sort of pass those savings on the customer. So, and again, our goal with fast food is to keep it affordable, especially having plant-based fast food. It's for us, it's really important that people uh, don't have that kind of price barrier. So, we're always trying to keep prices as low as we can, and 
and uh, you know, going cashless and making our, our business more efficient just helps us uh, keep our prices low. Even though things like labor have gone up a lot, as you know, the minimum wage went up quite a bit last year, and uh, and we were able to for the most part, not raise our prices. Wow, because that was a huge concern for people who are exactly in the same kind of thing that you are in, where you are employing individuals, where you are running a business, and, and you have to you have to pay them more, and that usually translates to the customer, the consumer. You've been able to avoid that based on technology, you would say? Absolutely, yeah. So based on technology, based on, uh, you know, we, we also we make all of our, of our own food, so we... we um, we have a manufacturing facility here in London, and so we, we were able to take advantage of, of economies of scale through that uh, as well. So um, it's, it's all these sort of techniques, I think, as a small business to, to stay competitive, and I think the answer is always is typically a, a technology solution. So businesses that are receptive to that, I think, um, you know, can stay competitive, and they don't have to raise their prices just because their costs go up. There's other ways of, of cutting costs in your business, right? So... Um, and uh, and we're happy that we're that we're able to I think achieve success that way. James McKinnis joining us, owner of Globally Local, where cashless is preferred. Again, if if you do want to use cash, it's still a a possibility. Would you have days that go by, James, where no one would come in using actual physical currency? Absolutely, yeah, all the time. We have we, like uh, like we. To this day, we, you know, very small percentage of our, of our transactions are cash in a given day. Many days we'll go with, with uh, no cash transactions at all. So it's, it's, it's amazing, actually. And, and I, and, uh, I know that this, this is happening in, in bigger cities like Toronto and Chicago, and there are some businesses that are doing that. But I think in London, we're probably one of the first. Would there be any complaints from customers at all? Or what kind of reaction are you hearing from them? You mentioned it was positive for the most part. What are they saying? Well, I think I think if, if uh, sometimes customers will see the sign, be like, "Well, I, I, you know, they'll they'll sometimes uh, won't give us the opportunity to kind of like explain a little bit more that we can't take cash." And sometimes, you know, maybe uh, and and again, I think that's a matter of us to kind of making the communication better with with customers because for customers that don't have electronic means, then you know you don't want to turn them off. So, so I think the the most important thing is to to have a good communication with your your customers and make sure they understand that they. You know, they can still pay the cash they need to. James McKenna is with us from Globally Local. James, one final thing, and I think everybody who's been listening to you talk right now would find it interesting that you go head-to-head with McDonald's. You go head-to-head with A&W. You've referenced that. When you started Globally Local, to sit down and say, you know... I- we're going to take a, a run at this particular part of the marketplace, and I know McDonald's is there, and I, I know A&W is there, but you know what? I believe we can compete with them. Now, you've done it, but what was that kind of an idea like and that thought process like to say, yeah, okay, they, they're big, uh, they're very established, but yeah, we can swim in the same ocean? Yeah, and, and, and it is daunting. I think it is like sort of a daunting challenge, and, and I think... Uh, I think you, 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 for us, we always think of our customer. You know, we think like, what do, what do customers want? Customers want better fast food. They want, they, they eat fast food because it's quick and it's affordable. So, um, for us, you know, going with a, a plant-based, um, obviously business model was an ethical choice, but also it's, it's a business choice. You know, we, we can produce our food at, at a, you know, a more cost-effective rate than using animal-based products. And we are able to pass that savings on to the customer and compete. And I think that's, the bottom line is, like, that's part of being an innovative company, and I think that's part of just who we are. So then, what are your plans for the future for Globally Local? Give us big picture in this. 
Well, actually, we are franchising. So we are uh, planning to open 80 locations in the next three years. And um, our, our rollout for that is uh, starting this year, actually. We're opening, uh, we plan to open four, four more locations this year. Um, some of them in London, some of them outside of London. But our growth strategy is to, you know, again, compete with the big fast food head-to-head on a global scale. And it's, um, I think that we can do it, providing that we, uh, we just remain competitive and give the customer a good value. And, and uh, you know, and I think um, that's just part of our future. Man, we know the name George Cohan from McDonald's in Canada and Ray Kroc from McDonald's in the U.S. James McInnes, you ready to be that name in the future? Uh, I'm ready. All right. Well, we wish <laughs> you the best of luck. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, for talking with us, and uh, thank you for uh, for putting London, Ontario on the map already. Can't wait to see it grow. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much for entertaining. James McInnes from Globally Local, going cashless. Now, we're going to continue to explore this, and if you have any thoughts on how cashless your life has become, then you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can give us a call, 519-643-2222. But I want to look at another end of it. What if you don't have a bank account? What if you aren't able to go cashless? As James has said, that's something that they accommodate at Globally Local. But our entire world is pushing toward this. What effect is that having? We'll investigate that when we return on London Live Afternoons with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. How cashless are you? We just spoke with James McInnes from Globally Local, and they have done their best to go cashless. It is helping their bottom line, and that's what it amounts to. Now, it means that they do have self-checkout. It means that they are looking not to handle cash unless they absolutely have to, and they ask their customers to not use cash. But... In your life, how cashless are you? Are you making purchases online? Do you mind throwing the credit card down online? Do you have a special online credit card? There are other ways that you can be cashless. Now you can pay from your phone. Is that some once once you start doing it, it just happens all over the place. Loading up a Tim's card is a cashless society. That's exactly what that is. So how cashless are you becoming? 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We're also watching something that deals with, in a way, all of our cash, and that is the Ontario budget that comes down later on today, just after 4 o'clock. Here's the only thing I'm hoping for today. There's one thing. And it has nothing to do with OSAP, and it has nothing to do with anything that might be announced. All I want is specifics. Please be specific. No buzzwords. Please outline how you will be doing things. If there's something I find frustrating with the Ford government very early on in their existence, it is that they do not spell things out clearly. We're going to do this. Okay, great. And I know most governments are not very good at it. But, no, please please tell us what this means. You have people trying to prepare budgets for next year and things like colleges and universities. How do they do it? You don't even know what student fees there are going to be because things are just announced and then it's, yeah, okay, well, we'll take care of that later. That's what it seems to be. Please, today, please be specific. That's all I ask. So we'll talk about that. I got an email from Ron regarding the traveling version of Wheel of Fortune. 
that this is a thing that does come around, and he says it's been to London. We're going to be talking tomorrow with Colleen Keel on London Live, and she's going to be on Wheel of Fortune, used to live in London, now lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's how she has actually pulled this off. And she's going to be on the show on Tuesday. So we'll get a preview of what you have to go through just to make it to Wheel of Fortune, and then we'll find out how that particular trip went. But Ron emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca, and he says, uh, Wheel of Fortune has been to Western Fair a couple of times. It was actually hosted by Bob Eubanks. Really? Uh, deal or no deal. Had a Canadian version a couple of years ago when it came to Toronto. Ron says he applied, didn't make the cut. And he says there have been Canadian versions of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I remember that one. And Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? So, yeah, there there can be. I don't know if they have traveling versions or not. And he also said the traveling version of The Price is Right has been to Hamilton and London. No Drew Carey, no Bob Barker, but that was about seven or eight years ago. I don't know if they still do those. Anybody know? You win cash on those shows. We'll talk about cashless society. And I want to look at a couple of different areas on cashless society and some of the concerns that do exist and some of the benefits from it. Next, how cashless are you living? And are you loving life without it? I can show you my wallet right now. I'm going to dig. Okay. And I'll open my wallet right here, right now. Inside my wallet, I have somehow a check for something. What is this? Oh, it's one of our checks. I could write you a check. Uh, and I have an American $10 bill that really needs to go back into the bank. That's it. No Canadian cash whatsoever. Ways to buy things, yes. This card, that card, the other card, but no cash. 519-643-2222. How cashless are you? We'll discuss it next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We try to learn as much as we can on London Live. We've learned a couple of things today. Globally local, London fast food vegan restaurant is going, well, is cashless now, but would really like to be completely cashless. They ask for that. And they're also expanding to 80 locations. This is the new McDonald's. It was wild. If you missed our interview, you can always find the podcast, and you can find that either at 980cfpl.ca or wherever you get your favorite podcast. And you can listen to that later in the day. And if you missed the interview with James McInnes, it's a way to go back because James, I got a kick out of it. He's talking along and he's talking, yeah, well, we're in competition with McDonald's. We're in competition with A&W. And I'm thinking, who opens a business and says, okay, let's see, who should we take on head to head? How about Petey's parts? I'm going to, yeah, that's, I think we can do a better job than them. See, they have a cardboard sign out front. No, no, no. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go head to head with McDonald's. Yeah, I think we can do this. But they're making it work. This is working. It's fantastic. And it really is phenomenal to watch. We'll continue to watch them for sure. The question we have is how cashless are you and do you enjoy our cashless society? We'll look at a couple of things in just a moment, but yesterday Devin Peacock was actually in conversation with Professor Rod Duclos from the Ivy School of Business at Western University. And just to rewind time a little bit and give some more base for the next part of our discussion, here is Professor Duclos speaking with Devin Peacock yesterday on London Live. Knowledge sets you free. And sometimes even knowledge won't suffice to set you free. But in this case, when, when we know through about a decade and a half now of research and experiments that the, the physicality of money, the physical forms of money 
can sway your behavior as a consumer, I think it's good for consumers to know about these things uh, so they can actually make better, more educated decisions afterward. Right there, Professor Duclos outlines why cashless societies can be dangerous. Can they save people who are selling things money? Sometimes, I mean, we get into fees and things, but you lose that tangible what money actually is. Long, long ago, when we used to trade a small cow for two sacks of really, really good chocolate chip cookies, when we used to do that, you had a value for things. I think this cow is worth those two bags of cookies. Okay. We good for that? Yeah. All right. And then you make the transaction. And little by little, that became currency. Now it becomes dangerous when you can just go, boop. That's number one. And I want to get into a couple of other things in just a moment. Off to the phones we go. 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll get to Trevor's email in just a moment. But Ron, thank you for hanging on. How cashless are you, sir? Um, Mike, I'm, uh, I'm like a mixture. I, I don't really, I used to not really care too much for technology, so I've always fought it. I didn't get on the internet until the year 2000, right? And the only reason I got on the internet was so I could use eBay and write email. Okay. But, and in the last 20 years, I've gotten a lot further than that. But because of my disability, I'm blind. And, and you know that because we've met a few times. Absolutely. Um, um, if, if I go to the bank, for example, at an ATM, now I have to carry around a headset. For example, at RBC or Toronto Dominion, I think it is. Okay. I have to carry a headset. So I just go into the bank. And more cash, the better. But one of the benefits of actually going cashless by uh, using a credit card or a um, an ATM card mm-hmm. or a debit card is if something is $6.12, you're paying $6.12 for it. If you're paying cash, it's $6.15. That's right. right? So, <laughs> little by but, little, that's going to add but, up over a lifetime, isn't an, it? Another benefit is if you're, I've gotten a lot of my um, bills, like my credit card and my phone bill, put on telephone banking. Yes. Yeah, that that has definitely been a bonus. But again, the more cash, the better. Now I uh, moved just west of downtown here, down by Blackfriars. So I live close to Cherry Hill Mall. Okay. And Seven Eleven around the corner on Mount Pleasant there, and I can walk downtown. So if I want to pay cash. And I do it because I, it's easier for me to do it. Yeah. And then I don't have to use like a debit machine and stuff and press buttons and have to remember everything. In case of an inaccessible, uh, inaccessibility issue, mm-hmm. because plenty of times you go into those places and the clerks, they are not necessarily sensitive to your disabilities. Gotcha. Well, Ron, that makes perfect sense. I mean, we we create so many things in our world, and then we wait to see, okay, well, how does this affect certain individuals? And if they're already up and running, and those individuals want to say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, this, this is not working for me, all of a sudden you're looking and saying, well, yeah, but it works for the masses, so we'll just keep it that way. So thanks for sharing that. Really yeah. appreciate that. Okay. Take care. Later. 519-643-2222. And that's... That's exactly a reason why you want to look and say, okay, does this work for everybody? And how do we make this work for everybody? Got an email from Trevor. And this this is interesting, too, because there is something that we need to distinguish. Because one of the right-away arguments in terms of cashless society always goes to, well, wait a minute. 
There are individuals who do not have bank accounts, who live paycheck to paycheck, who are really, really working hard just to get by. And so maybe they don't have the luxury of having a credit card. Maybe they don't have the luxury of having a cell phone, a smartphone that you can make use of. So wait a minute, there's that. Now, Trevor makes an even uh, a very good point here. He says, look, I'm financially secure, paid off house, income properties, two luxury SUVs, retired at 49, except for handling the properties. And he says, I only pay cash. And here's the story behind this. Trevor says, I was the victim of a fairly large sum of money evaporating from my account. After lawyers got involved, I got my money back and researched online banking and cards, etc. I now use a bank book to access my account. My wife and I share a single credit card only used when absolutely necessary. Won't be going to a business who thinks I have financial problems because I pay cash. This I can assure you. Trevor, thank you for that. 519-643-2222, because there's, there's the other angle on this. Not only do you have individuals who maybe cannot afford to have certain things needed for a cashless society, there are those who will look and say, yeah, all right, you can have all your stuff. I'm not interested in everybody knowing every transaction. I'm not interesting, interested in laying out my numbers that somebody can find. How many times do we hear the word breach? Oh, look, this company's had a breach. Oh, look, this company's had a breach. And I don't mean to sound off alarms here, but this is, this is legitimate stuff. We have digital doubles out there. And a lot of times, if you go back to the first time you ever inputted your credit card information online, that very first time, you kind of looked at it a little bit, right? Maybe you were on a computer at that point. Maybe you were on a laptop. And you punched in, you took out your credit card, and you punched in all the numbers, and you had them sitting there, right? And you looked at them, and you thought, okay, I'm all set to make this purchase. My numbers are entered. They're right. Do I want to put this out there? All of us went through it. You looked at it again, and ultimately, you hit, boop, and off it went. And then you went, wow, that was easy. And maybe you've been shopping that way and you've never had a problem. And you think, wow, problems don't happen. Problems do happen. I mean, it took Trevor five minutes to respond and say, yeah, you want to see what I went through? Here's what I went through. And they do happen. So we all run that risk in a cashless society. All of your transactions are being mapped. All the data is being used. And hey, we live in a society, in a world where data is being collected. They started putting up cell towers in third world countries, not for cell phones. They could care less whether someone was actually using those cell towers to call someone else and say, hey, what's going on? You having a good day? Yeah. Okay. I'll see you later. They didn't want that. What were they doing? Tracking movement. They wanted to see how people moved. And that was the way to do it. Cell phone in your pocket, you get your movement tracked. So in this day and age, we have the ability to do all of this, but there are pitfalls. There are risks. How concerned do you become about those? Well, I think it, it depends how closely you've had this hit your world. You know, look at Trevor. Trevor is doing phenomenally well, but chooses to be as cash-filled as possible. Let's make sure that, that we're making those transactions. And a lot of times, if you talk to somebody and... 
the Ontario government is tabling their budget today. When you talk to somebody who is trying to save money, one of the best things that they will tell you they can do is have that money in their hands. Is go to the bank and say, all right, I've given myself a fun money allowance this weekend of $45. So I'm taking out $45 and that's what I've got in my hands. And when that's done... I don't go back and say, ah, well, it's just this once. I'll just take out another 20. It's just this one time. Because that's not how you save money in the end. And that's, I think, the biggest issue in all of this. Yes, there is a risk factor. Yes, there are going to be people who are not able to to use cashless societies because of either not having the tools like a smartphone or not having a bank account. Ron made a fantastic argument about anyone who might have a physical disability and how maybe that doesn't transition very well in terms of what you have to do in order to make payment. So that's a great argument. But ultimately, it comes down to our understanding of money. And I worry for the next generation a little bit. If you have somebody who has a bank account, make sure they are seeing what's in that bank account on a regular basis, daily basis. So at least they have that number. This is what's there. This is what's coming in. This is, they need that. All right. One more thought on this. And, Bob, that goes to you. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. Yourself? Good, thanks. So, you know, uh, yeah, I don't – the point you made there, you're the caller, like, you know – you get tracked everywhere you go when you use a card, and that's what I don't. I, I shy away from that. I, I carry cash all the time. I'll pay cash if I can for everything that I buy. Period. So I, I got money in my wallet all the time, and uh, that's how I deal with things. But you know, I, I think this cashless society really, in a sense, strips people of their wealth because now you're 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 getting down to ones and zeros in a bank account with at least a fiat currency. You know, which is probably going to fail somewhere along the line anywhere because they always do, so, you know, sooner or later. Uh, at least you have something tangible in your hand, right? Now, even further than that, like if you know, go, go back in history when the, when the continental dollar uh, in America during the American Revolution, right, it just dissolved and it left us with the money, the, the American currency we have now. That dollar in America has been the fiat or the fiat currency of the world since 1913, and it's going to fail one day because historically every fiat currency does. When you get right down to it, the only wealth one has is is like land or diamonds. Because when you lose, if if our currency was to crash, you could take silver and gold or anything of value like that and go around anywhere in the world and buy goods and buy food and, and carry on. Right? Absolutely. All the money has to be tied to something, and a lot yeah. of times you get commodities, and commodities aren't changing. Mark Twain said it. Buy land. They're not making any more of it. Bob, great point. Got to run for news. Thanks so much for the call. Hey, Mike, one more thing. Yeah. Uh, don't don't forget to uh, cheer on the Bruins tonight, all right? <laughs> I know more Leafs than I know Bruins, and I usually cheer for the guys that I know. So I'm I'm on the Leaf bandwagon this time around. But you and I'll chat throughout this series, I'm sure. All right, then. You enjoy your Bruins. I will, sir. <laughs> take care. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Let's take a break. Couple of other emails before we close out this topic entirely. You can email Mike at nine eighty cfpl.ca. You can reach us at five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. This is London Live on Global News Radio nine eighty CFPL. As we close out our cashless discussion, Al says, I carry far less cash than I ever have. Debit's readily available. 
He said that's it. Telling customers they need to wait for a manager in order to pay cash is poor business practice. I'd be turned off. I understand smaller businesses not accepting credit cards because of the ridiculous merchant fees, but cash? And a great story from Rose that we'll share after news. We're also going to talk after news about sending drugs through the mail. It apparently happens a fair amount, and there's not much Canada Post or the police seem to be able to do about it. We'll have the story. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have a world of free speech, but you know what story I hope goes away really fast? Old retired Pope Benedict looking at the church abuse scandal and somehow insinuating that the so-called sexual revolution had something to do with it. Uh, what? What is that even, what are you trying to refer to? No, 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 no. We're not granting excuses here. We had a lot of lives completely altered. We continue to find out more and more horrific stories. And you're going to say, well, the sexual... Give me a break. There's free speech. You're allowed to say what you want. Might want to check with somebody before you say something like that. Give me a break. Later on this hour... We're going to be talking about wasting food. We all do it. Look at it. Do you know how wasteful we are? We've talked about the younger generation and cashless society. The younger generation does tend to be a little bit better in terms of saying, yeah, okay, uh, that's wasting, that's wasting, you shouldn't be using that, stop putting things in that plastic bag and throwing it in the garbage. They're good at that. And... When it comes to whether it's water or food, I mean, how many times does somebody turn on a tap and then turn around and go, oh, geez, turn off that tap there? That's a thing. So we'll be talking about wasting food because the numbers have been released and they are new numbers on food waste and they're bigger than the old numbers. So we're headed in the wrong direction. So we've got to check in on those numbers, where they come from, what they mean, and what we are not doing that we need to be doing. Okay, Rose sent through a story just to really close off our cashless society conversation. And before we get to a conversation with Michael Bryant, who is the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association on sending drugs through Canada Post, because that's a thing. I'm not making that up. That's a thing. Uh, we're going to talk about just a, a one, or we'll we'll tell you one story, courtesy of Rose, regarding cashless society. Uh, Rose emailed saying, 90% of the time, I carry cash. One credit card. Find that if I use a card or debit card, you don't see how quickly funds get depleted. That is so true. Learned a lesson in the fall when I didn't have any money on me driving on the highway, all of a sudden had a flat tire. I realized I didn't have a dime for anything. Luckily, had a cell phone. The tow truck driver actually had to buy Rose her coffee because, again, no money. Never going to happen again. Always keep $5 in my car visor as an emergency fund. Does anybody have any tips on emergency funds? Because I've tried some emergency funds in different ways. You know, you leave $5 somewhere hidden in the car so nobody can see it and think, oh, $5 must mean there's a 1000 I'm going to break the window. But... I spend that $5 and then 
then the emergency fund is gone. I don't, I don't know how you get it back. You know, how do you remember to put a new $5 in there? Well, I spent the $5 on parking because I had to park. Oh, okay. Well, then I didn't have cash on me to replenish the $5. Does anybody have tips on that? I need tips. Let's look at drugs and Canada Post because this, believe it or not, is something that maybe has our lawmakers in need of visiting the legislation. Maybe we need to take a look at what should be permissible and what isn't. There's a big catch-22 in terms of what a Canada Post worker can do and what a police officer can do when things are sent through the mail and become suspicious packages. We've all watched border guards or whatever those shows are and people are trying to send crazy stuff across the border. That's kind of not entirely what we're we're talking about we're dealing with stuff that is sent in canada we're dealing with stuff that is mailed from one place received at another place and a lot of times contains well not a lot of times but can contain something illegal and to help us spell out what is happening here we are lucky enough to have with us michael bryant who is the executive director of the canadian civil liberties association as we look at drugs, Canada Post, and the police, and how everybody intertwines. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on London Live. My pleasure. Let's look at how much of an issue it can be to look at mail. It's always been such a, a private thing, and Canada Post has done a very good job handling our sensitive mail and sensitive packages that we're sending. But then we put drugs into this. What can you tell us about drugs and Canada Post? Right. So the way uh, it works right now, and uh, uh, people are calling for changes, but the way it works right now is that Canada Post does what Canada Post, uh, you would expect them to do, which is deliver mail. Uh, They aren't an arm of the police. They aren't expected to uh, inspect uh, packages, although they have the authority to uh, and can inspect packages. And I know that the um, Canada Postal uh, Union uh, has expressed concerns that they don't have the time to inspect packages. But there's a big difference between um, uh, parcels, boxes, uh, on the one hand, uh, which which they uh, could inspect, they could say, "Wow, this looks actually like a bazooka, not like a uh, um, like whatever it's uh, pretending to be." Uh, so we we can stop that, we can inspect that, and we can call the police. So you can inspect uh, packages um, if there's something about uh, their appearance that causes them concern. But letters is a is a whole other matter and a whole other issue. And uh, I I. I don't know uh, whether the police are saying that uh, fentanyl is being trafficked and transported through letters. And if so, you know, as you can imagine, there's, uh, well, I know that fentanyl uh, just requires a very tiny amount um, of the narcotic to cause uh, its damage. Uh, I think the concern is with parcels and not with letters. Um, And uh, if you're importing it through letters, then, you know, uh, there's a limit as to how much you can uh, get into a letter size envelope. So, I, th- I, what, what's important for this uh, conversation is the, to make a distinction between parcels on the one hand and letters on the other hand, because under the law, the letters are treated uh, like conversations. They are private communications, and private communications are dealt with under the wiretap laws. 
and uh, a letter is akin to um, a wiretap. And if uh, the police uh, want to inspect the letter, they need to go get a warrant. And there's nothing stopping them from getting a warrant. Uh, they just need to have some information, some belief that uh, that letter is carrying fentanyl uh, in order to get that. Uh, for packages, um, you know, they, they can either get a warrant uh, to search uh, the package or you know, they can get tipped off by the postal workers. The problem being, what, what exactly is the difference between a box carrying fentanyl and a box carrying coffee? And the answer is, you really can't tell from looking from, uh, from the outside. Yeah, exactly. We're talking with Michael Bryant, who is the Executive Director and General Counsel for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and we're looking at sending drugs in the mail and some of the complications that exist in trying to find that out, because let's face it, if you're going to do something, typically you hide it. We've heard stories about sneaking drugs into prisons. You'll you'll make it like a, a four-year-old has done a crayon drawing, and in fact, the drugs are melted into the wax, and and then you scrape it off in prison and you turn it into drugs all over again. So this is this is not something that it's going to, like you say, have the word, hey, there are drugs in this package on the outside of the brown papering. You mentioned looking at changing laws. How complex an issue is that one? Do we even want to open the door to that? You know, I, that's uh, for the Canadian Parliament to decide. It, it is true that the Canadian postal law um, is old, and the law regarding um, uh, detaining uh, what the what Canada Post carries around um, uh, has changed. And at the time in which the Canada the relevant Canada Post legislation was passed, um, <clears throat> there was. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that the Mounties were concerned about uh, trafficking. Uh, on the other hand, now they are, and um, there's uh, really uh, an effort within the, the law enforcement community to get some legal changes made. And uh, our position as the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, as you would expect, is that you know we need to uh, retain the presumption of innocence. Uh, I don't want my letters uh, being uh, inspected randomly by anybody. Uh, and I, if the police want to inspect uh, my uh, letter to me or from me, you know they're going to need to get a warrant. And and in order to get that warrant, they're going to need to have some. Um, some belief or probable cause, some rational connection between um, uh, the uh, crime and the opening of that letter. So uh, while we, you know, so we would oppose any shortcuts uh, that law enforcement might be trying to craft through legislative changes um, on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, this, I, I, this is getting uh, um, merged with another issue, which is a labor management issue between, you know, Canada Post and their bosses. And, uh, you know, the, the argument is uh, basically you can't expect Canada, uh, Canada Post workers who are delivering mail uh, to uh, um, also inspect the packages uh, to a point where they are, uh, you know, the equivalent of dog sniffers. Um, that, that's just not realistic. Uh, on the other hand, management is saying, you know, we don't want to pick up a new expense and uh, pay for something uh, that, we're not currently expected to pay for, and the Civil Liberties Association is here to say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't want Canada Post workers being agents of the police. Let the police do their work. Let the postal workers deliver the mail, and if the police need um, 
to get a warrant, they, they should go and get a warrant. And if there's some uh, legislative obstacle to them getting a warrant, well, you know, then, then that legislative change can be made. But that's not going to change the basic premise that, you know, in order to inspect people's stuff, you need to have some probable cause, and that means you need to have a warrant. But, of course, you know, all of this assumes that the way to get at fentanyl addiction uh, is to uh, target the Canada Post. Uh, in fact, there are other ways uh, to deal with addiction, which is with respect to the – which requires us to use the health care system, uh, where you uh, provide uh, addiction treatment services for people so that you tackle the addiction uh, not by trying to uh, – deal with trafficking way down uh, way down the line downstream you, you, rather you go upstream you try to uh, help the person who's got the addiction because that's the you know that's the demand uh, the, often in the war on drugs it, it they attack the supply uh, and they ignore the demand but the the reality is that if you it, it deal with both and you you uh, get your health care system involved and you lower the demand then then you don't have a you don't have an issue with supply. You you, you don't have a de- you don't have a demand for the product, and the only people using the product are people who for whom the uh, the drug fentanyl was originally designed, and uh, and that was for uh, the very rare cases where um, a, such a strong opioid was needed. Well, it makes for a very interesting discussion. So, Michael, thank you for laying out a lot of the perspectives in this discussion. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Bryant, Executive Director of the Canadian. Civil Liberties Association. So sending drugs through Canada Post, it's again, and we have so many of these in our world, the invisible enemy. How do you fight something that you don't know is there? What, are you going to open every package? What, are you going to say, no, we can't have that? Have drug-sniffing dogs at every mailbox? I don't know where we'd stop it. And as Michael says, there's there's a couple of sides to this. And one does come up today because if we take a very strong look toward what is coming down just after 4 o'clock in the Ontario budget, we need to pay close attention to what is happening in healthcare. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, let's look at this topic just for a minute, and I'll tell you why it matters with relation to today's budget. We were talking with Michael Bryant, Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, about an issue that does exist, whereby you have people who are purchasing drugs, essentially online, and then those drugs are being sent through Canada Post. And Canada Post does not really have the power to open up any package that, to use Michael's example... Uh, doesn't look like it has a bazooka in it. And unless the police are able to obtain a warrant and have reasonable cause to look at a package, again, it would have to look like it had a bazooka in it or it would have to stay on the front. Shh, drugs inside. Don't touch. And that's not going to happen. So you have the issue where we've got a lot of transportation going on that maybe could be cracked down upon. Now, Michael looked at the legislation. He also looked at another part of this, and this is where today's budget comes in. He looked at the idea that instead of looking at all of the the trafficking going on, and we're dealing with harder drugs here. This is not the mailing of marijuana back and forth. This is things like fentanyl. 
This is things like heroin. And if you've got that going back and forth, then you need to make sure you are addressing the other issue here. And the other issue is people who have become addicted to using things like heroin or listed as opioids. And we've got all kinds of experience here. And we've seen all of the numerical breakdowns by way of statistics. And we know that lives are being saved. And yet we know that overdoses are being spotted. But when we have safe injection sites, we have places where people can go and people can be monitored. And we know that that exists. Here's why it matters today. We've got a provincial government, and what is their mandate right now? It is to save money. And yes, you can point back at the liberals. Please, if you love being a conservative, feel free. Point back at the liberals. Go ahead. They screwed a lot of stuff up. Guaranteed. And something has to be done about it. But it shouldn't be done overnight. It can't be done overnight. And if we're going to look at a government that decides, okay, well... Here's what we need to do. We need to save money in education. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to eliminate librarians and guidance counselors in Toronto and who knows where else. We're going to cut a thousand jobs. Who knows? When this first started, we're going to cut a lot more jobs. We'll see how this all works out in the end, but that's education. In healthcare, we're going to create the super agency and we're going to put everything from cancer care to essentially the lens and all of the other operational devices. We're going to put all of that under an umbrella and that's going to save us some money. What's that going to do to care? We don't know. And what if we see, after 4 o'clock today, we see cuts to things that provide ways for, whether it's safe injection sites or whether it is programs aimed at prevention or programs aimed at rehabilitation. I mean, these are the kinds of things that if you are going to make cuts to health care, those things are all of a sudden on the table. Why? Well, because cutting doctors, no, can't do that. Cutting nurses, yeah, that's been tried, and it didn't go over very well at all. So you start cutting programs, or you start making changes to funding to programs, and we can take a little bit out of here, and a little bit out of here, and a little bit out of here, and we can save money. Now, that's the government's mandate. They've got to save money. Ontario is in a world of hurt when it comes to money. So something does have to be done. But... You've got to be careful because these are the kinds of programs that wind up being in jeopardy. And if, in fact, we do see cuts to that, then every advancement that we have seen made in terms of those statistics that we talked about that have proven lives can be saved, a change can be made, you can make the difference when it comes to people who are struggling with opioid addiction, then that's all of a sudden a very vulnerable sector. And where do we go? What do we have? So that's another thing to pay very close attention to just after 4 o'clock today in terms of what the provincial government decides to do. Because there aren't that many places they can make cuts. You can't go and say, all right, well, we're going to take private industry. and Oh, yeah. We don't have jurisdiction really over that. We don't want to raise taxes. 
So, yeah, they're kind of out. So, hmm, hey, we run education. We run health care. They're two of the biggest. We'll go after those. And that's kind of what they have to do if they want to save some money, if they want to find some money. So we'll pay close attention. We'll break it down tomorrow after all has been said and done. Also tomorrow, we are going to have some fun on a Friday because Colleen Keel is going to join us. She's going to be on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. How did she get there? Well, we'll play you a little snippet of her audition and let you know how she got there. And when you hear one of the things that she did, you'll think, how is that going to work? Apparently it did, because you have a 600 in 1 million chance of being a contestant each year on Wheel of Fortune. If you are Canadian-born and not married to an American, you have a 0% chance. It's not happening. But if you are an American, or you have married an American, or you have status in the United States, then you can be on Wheel of Fortune. But we'll give you a little sense of what Colleen was able to do. And then we're going to talk about food waste. It was bad in London. Is it better now? No. No, it's not better. Oh, it's the same. No, it's worse. Worse. We'll get details on that for you. Next up, we've got Jacqueline LaBelle with news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've got Knights tickets to give away before the end of the show today. We are going to be asking a skill testing question. Here's what I can tell you. I'll give you the hint right now. Game 7, London Knights, Guelph Storm, 2004. Game 7, London Knights, Guelph Storm, 2004. The skill testing question will come from that game. And you could be off to game number five, Knights and Storm, tomorrow night at Budweiser Gardens. Guelph ended up winning yesterday by a score of 4-3. to three. Guelph's always been a good team. <laughs> it's funny to watch a team go up on another team right away in a series, and everything's just going their way. Yeah, when you get two good teams going together, it doesn't always happen that it just keeps on going their way. And Guelph scored a couple of goals on deflections yesterday. Nick Suzuki had a goal and two assists. Knights had some chances. Anthony Popovich, Guelph's goalie, made some really good saves. Knights almost came back. Outshot Guelph 18-4 in the third period. Looked really good. Even Dylan Hunter said after the game it was that second period when he said the Knights kind of got away from doing what They'd been doing really, really well all series. Weren't really moving the puck out of their zone the same way they had been. Weren't getting it deep the way they had been. Just the little fundamental things. They fixed it in the third, but just could not find that game-tying goal. So now they go to Game 5 in their building tomorrow night, 7.30, and you'll have a chance to win tickets. Also tomorrow... We are going to be talking with Colleen Keel, who is a Wheel of Fortune contestant as of this coming Tuesday. How did she get on the show? She's from London, but she lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And by marriage, about 18 months ago, she has an American connection and realized, hey, this means that she can try out for American game shows. And so she did. She's going to take us through what it took to get there. One of the things that it took was an audition video. Here's an excerpt from Colleen's audition video. 
I'm relatively new here in the U.S. after recently getting married 18 months ago. I am from Canada, from London, Ontario. I host a pretty good party. I'm loving life in my 50s. I enjoy traveling and the outdoors. So Wheel of Fortune, I'm asking you to let me cross California off my list and the opportunity to ask for the letter Z. <laughs> I'm still somebody who believes we got to eliminate that. We we just we should go to Z. And I know that that gets hate email all the time, but I you wouldn't think that would have her make it, but it did. She qualified as a contestant. She'll take us through all of that and she will actually be on the show on Tuesday if you want to watch Colleen play. And then we'll talk on Wednesday about how it all went because you know how game shows work. They record a bunch of them and then everybody has to sign these big long confidentiality agreements where you will not tell a soul what happened. And I don't know how people keep a secret as well as they do. I guess if there's thousands of dollars on the line or just the fact that you were on the show, you're willing to do it. But yeah, sign the confidentiality agreement. I will not tell a single soul what happened when I went to buy that E and the E wasn't there. Ah, no. And Colleen will not give away any secrets about what's about to take place on the show. But she will tell us what it does take in order to make it to Wheel of Fortune. And if you're looking to do it one day, if you have an opportunity to marry an American, maybe you have U.S. status of some kind, then she actually recommends something very, very important. You want to know what it is? Is it reading the dictionary? No. Saying the alphabet backwards seven times in a row? No. Don't bother with that. Hangman. Hangman. That old game. Find a partner to play it with. They think up a name or a word, and playing hangman. Very, very good for the Wheel of Fortune-loving mind. Next up, we're going to talk waste. How much are we all wasting? Well, we're wasting a lot. We're going to get some actual hard numbers on it next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are pretty lucky to live where we do, right? Why? Well, when you went to turn on the tap this morning, what came out of it? Unless something was wrong with your pipes? Water. Water came out of it. That makes us pretty lucky. Um, go to the grocery store on the weekend? Pick up a couple things? Maybe stop by the drugstore on the way home? Pick up some stuff? Yeah. Yeah. A bag of milk. Had three bags in it. Pretty amazing. You come home and pair of scissors, you got milk. No tugging of udders of cows. Nope. Nope. Just off to the store. Pick that up. And when we go to the grocery store, a lot of times we have hints, right? You're supposed to shop on a full stomach because that makes you less likely to buy a lot of things. Well... You can't help it sometimes. And even grocery stores now have kind of taken a page from a lot of the warehouse stores. And now instead of just buying one thing of orange juice, well, if you buy three, they're actually 30 cents cheaper. So, whoa, whoa 30 cents cheaper. I'm going to buy three. And we buy three. If you are ready to buy one cucumber... Well, that would be a dollar and seventy-five cents. But for two twenty-five, you can get three cucumbers. Ooh, three cucumbers. 
for hardly any more than one cucumber. I'm going to do that. Why? You like cucumber a lot? Not really. But three. I get three for so much less. And that's kind of the hurdle that we face as we shop. And what does that do? Well, it helps us to put some numbers on some things. Because we happen to have an issue, especially in London, Ontario. And we've got some very specific numbers when it comes to London, Ontario. Because we happen to have the lead author and researcher of a project that has taken place in London and really kind of across Canada. And that has looked at a number of ways that we are wasting Food and the amount of wasted food we have. Joining us right now is the lead author and researcher of this particular paper, Paul Vanderwerf. Paul, how are things? Great to talk with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me uh, on today. So we're not just talking about extra cucumbers here, because I know those are hard to get through before they get really, really squishy. Uh, What all are we talking about when we look at food waste? And we'll get into the numbers in just a little bit, but, but let's outline where this issue stems from. Well, the issue just stems largely from, and this is based on a household food waste survey that we uh, completed, and uh, really looking at things like fruits and vegetables, bread and baked goods, meat and fish, kind of the, being kind of the key, uh, the key things, and people saying that they're buying too much. The critical reason uh, uh, much of this stuff is ending up in the garbage. So we're buying too much. In other words, we're just going out. Would it be because of those deals and things like that? Sure. Yeah, that's a combination of those sorts of things. I mean, I think people, like you said, if you can save a few uh, a few uh, dollars on things, you might be inclined to uh, buy a bit more than what you think you need. And uh, I think sometimes people kind of get uh, a bit hypnotized by that and, and do that. But it's not cheaper if you throw out uh, that last cucumber, of course. It actually becomes more expensive. And that's uh, a little bit of the point of, the, of our research is to... Uh, you know, link up what people are saying. So people are saying, you know, we are buying too much. But when I asked them what would motivate them to reduce the amount of food that becomes waste, they said saving money. So, you know, this research has tried to join those two things together um, and uh, to see if we can make some headway on uh, what's a $600 a year, uh, um, $600 per household, uh, uh, you know, problem in the city of London. Well, you just used the number right there. Let's let's turn this into that number. So you're telling us this is a $600 per year problem in London, Ontario? Would it be London yep. that we could use that number for? Absolutely. No, and that's 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 where I gathered the research, very local uh very locally gathered research. And what you, what you also need to remember is that $600 of what I would call avoidable food waste. And that's avoidable food waste is the stuff that was edible at uh, one point. And so it doesn't even include the bones and the peels and all that sort of stuff, which, of course, we're not going to eat. Now, that sounds really large, to tell you the truth. If we're dealing with $600 per year, I mean, if we're looking at what we pay on average to feed a family of four, I'm thinking $600 would be a little low per week on a grocery bill, but it's in the neighborhood, isn't it? The six hundred dollars, the six hundred dollars per year is is what's being is what being thrown out. So you have to think of it in terms of you know ten to twenty dollars per week of what households are buying works its way into the garbage. And you know, I mean, if we look at that sort of citywide, all of a sudden we're looking at a you know seventy five to hundred million of sort of 
you know, wasted, wasted money that I, I'd like to think we'd like to do something else with or be in a position to do something else with other than just put it in the garbage. So essentially we're looking for a family of four somewhere near one grocery per year of just throwing that away. If you're, if you're spending, say, $800 a week on groceries, that's, that's almost an entire buy the – here, go out, go to the grocery store, put everything in it, and then instead of taking that home and putting it in the fridge, putting it in the cupboards, just yeah. dump that into the landfill. That, that's kind of staggering, to tell you the truth. Well, it's, it's, a, big, it's, a, big, it's a big number, um, but what I try to do is reduce it to something that people can relate to. I mean, we see even bigger numbers when we look at Canada. People say, oh, it's a $31 billion a year problem, and that's a big number, but most of us, including myself, are not billionaires, so it doesn't really mean very much. But if I say, you know, there's some things you can do to save $600 per year, well, that's a little bit more relatable because, you know, that's the kind of money that we can relate to a little bit better. And uh, so that's really what I try to do. And what we try to do at the HEAL Lab as part of the Department of Geography at Western University is to really understand what it is that people um, thought about food waste and why they were throwing out food waste and, and how much to kind of give us some clues in terms of finding some solutions. Now, you have done a great job making that understandable for the rest of us. We're talking with Paul Vanderwerf, environmental consultant and a project advisor with Western's Human Environments Analysis Laboratory, the HEAL Lab. Can you kind of spell it out for us in terms of what we can do to maybe reduce at least the amount of food that's being chucked? Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's remarkably simple, actually, and it relates to some of the things you talked about uh, in the preface to uh, this, uh, this segment. And really, it's about being a bit prepared before we go to the grocery store. What is it that we think we need? And it's fundamental as, uh, you know, making, uh, making a list before you go, kind of sticking to it. Don't be tempted by the things you don't need. It's only a deal if you need it, not if you don't. Uh, understand how to better store the food once you've bought it. So you've spent all this uh, money at the grocery store. And uh, what are we going to do with it when we get home? So make sure we store it properly. Um, you know, some basic cooking things. We don't all need to be Jamie Oliver, but, uh, you know, we should at least have some rudimentary cooking skills. And, you know, if you don't like leftovers, which is a key uh, thing that gets thrown out, then, you know, figure out how to not make them in the first place. And so really basic stuff, and it's really about reminding people of some of these very sort of basic basic things that they would have done in the past and just sort of reminding them of the impact of not doing them. You know, like you say, it's like, it's like turning on the water tap. Many of us are very fortunate. Maybe we take the food that we buy for granted a little bit and go to the grocery store and just, it's all there, right? But I mean, you know, food waste is an inefficiency and it's quite an expensive one if you look at it. And so we try to remind people of that, get them some simple tips, those tips are still available, foodwaste.ca. Uh, we've got a number of simple tips uh, on there um, that, that kind of elaborate on what I just chatted about. We're talking with Dr. Paul Vanderwerf from the Heal Lab at Western University, and we are looking at food waste. And again, foodwaste.ca is a good place to go to get some tips. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And is there any plan to take a look at the numbers that we have now and then repeat the process in a little while to see whether we've improved? Can we get a new report card? Because this one well, doesn't sound that great. Yeah. I mean, so there's ongoing there's ongoing research and ongoing research that we'll report on. So we have been uh, researching um, some some potential what we call interventions. So going into the household and uh, developing a bit of a program to see. Uh, if we can actually reduce that. So that's, uh, 
that's uh, that work will be coming out a little bit, uh, you know, a bit later. So we have been doing some research to now, you know, now that we know what the issue is and what the problem is and what why people say they're wasting food, we've developed some, you know, strategies that we hope will work, and we're testing those, and we'll be reporting on those. Uh, um, we'll be reporting on those in due course. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for the time today. You're welcome. Thanks so much. As Dr. Paul Vanderwerf from Western's Human Environments Analysis Laboratory, the Heal Lab. So, a little reminder, we got to practice life. Sounds stupid, but you do. It's why teams practice all the time, because you kind of forget things, and you kind of let things slide. And whether it's taking care of our finances or taking care of our food, I think we need more practice. That's what these numbers say to me. Let's take a break. Up next, no practice. It'll be game on. We have night's tickets to give away. And if you happen to know the answer to our skill testing question, you can be at game number five between the London Knights and the Guelph Storm tomorrow night. The hint that we threw out earlier, you won't have as much time to look it up. London Knights, Guelph Storm, game seven in 2004. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Tickets to give away to go and see the London Knights and the Guelph Storm tomorrow as we close out the show. 519-643-2222. We'll go back to the most famous Knights Storm series. Guelph actually won it back in 2004, but the London Knights that were on that team always credit that series for helping them to become the team of the century next year. What we need to know is what was the score in Game 7? In that series between the Knights and the Storm, Western Conference Finals, what was the score in Game 7 of that 2004 series? 519-643-2222. And guesses will help subsequent guesses to get closer. 519-643-2222. John, you've got the first shot at this. What was the score? I'm going to say it was uh, 4-3. 4-3. You are close. In fact, you've got one of the numbers absolutely right. One of the numbers is a little bit low. The number that's absolutely right is the 3. The other one is a little bit low. On we go. 519-643-2222. Martin. Is it 3-5? It was not 5-3, but you're getting closer. So the 3 is right, and the 5 is getting closer. 519-643-2222. Frank. Uh, 6-3. 6-3 it was. Congratulations. Thank you you are much. off to see the London Knights and the Guelph Storm tomorrow. You can go, right? Yes, I can. Okay. Yeah. Always have to check that. Frank, hang on. We'll get some information. We'll see you tomorrow night at the game. 6-3 was the final. Dennis Weidman had tied the game in the third period, and then Matt Ryan scored and made it 4-3. Guelph would add a couple of late ones, but that was the final, and Frank is off. Since then, since that series, we haven't seen the London Knights and the Guelph Storm play a series that has gone longer than five games. And they've played five other series and now this one since then. The London Knights don't want Guelph to go to a sixth game against them this year either. Knights have a chance to close out the series tomorrow night at Budweiser Gardens. The alternate is happening for the London Lightning tonight as they have to win or they are out. London Nationals won last night, beat the Listowel Cyclones, and so they lead that best-of-seven Sutherland Cup semifinal series one game to none. And speaking of Listowel, as we go along a nice little line in sports, how about Listowel's Corey Connors? 
He qualified for the Masters by winning in Texas on Sunday, right? So now he's at Augusta, just four days later. He walks off the course after round one today, one shot off the pace. He's at minus two, and he's in behind two golfers, Justin Harding and John Rahm. He is one stroke off the pace. We'll have more news on that. Remember, there are tickets available to go and see the London Knights in the Guelph Storm tomorrow. If your name is not Frank and you did not win them, you can get them. 519-681-0800. Stop by the Knights Armories or go online to LondonKnights.com. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help today. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.